back on track with Bobby Care. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. And you're very welcome to Back on Track. Our aim of this podcast is to find out how businesses have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, how they've adapted and what the outlook is for each sector moving forward. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on startups and we've gathered a panel of experts to discuss what's happening. Uh, Neve Bushnell, she's of, Soap, of Soapbox Labs. John Phelan is director of the Halo Business Angel Network, HPAN, and Johnny Walker is the founder of Jinga Health. You're all very welcome to the programme. Um, maybe we might just talk a little bit about your interests in startups. Niamh, as a former commissioner for startups, maybe you might just tell us about your interest in the sector. Sure. I mean, I have an absolute passion for startups and particularly, obviously, Irish startups because I believe that they are the backbone of the economy and the future of Ireland and more and more with everything that's going on right now. I think they're a a sector that we absolutely need to focus on and dig deep on and and find ways of of, um, supporting and protecting them and helping them to do the creative and uh, dynamic job that they need to do to support Ireland going forward. So, you know, tech startups for me, it's all about the technology. It's all about deep tech companies. It's investing in R&D. It's building companies that are different, that are unique, that um, bring new technology to market and bring new business models and consumption models uh, to the fore. And I think Irish people are very creative. Uh, They're very good in the downturn. Uh, And I think, you know, there's a huge opportunity here for for young Irish companies, if they're supported at the early stages, to make a difference here in Ireland, obviously, but also globally with some really exciting technologies and ways of doing and serving people and customers and businesses. Uh, startups is, is a very broad, I suppose, category, Niamh. Um, yeah. if, if you look at healthcare, life sciences, remote work technology, they might all be um, getting a bit of a bonanza. But then if you're, a, if, you're, if you're a startup in hospitality, travel or tourism, you're looking at a very different scenario. Certainly. I mean, there are, it's no doubt that there are some sectors of the economy that are super challenging now. And, you know, the present is going to look very like the future. And I think a good new future is going to look very different for these companies than a good future would have looked for them before. Obviously, the travel tech sector is one of those areas. The services sectors are, are very challenging. And, you know, the bottom line is that for some companies who've been building products now and services for a while, their value proposition is dead. And it won't be changing. You know, other companies that are much more horizontally spread, let's say, who have a technology or a product that serves across different industries, will be able to, uh, you know, if they conserve their cash and get some good supports, will be able to uh, do really well in this new economy. And there's a load of sectors, and maybe we'll talk about them together, where there's huge opportunities now in, you know, remote learning and healthcare and and, and, and others where there's a huge opportunity now for Irish companies to okay. really stand up and, and, and do interesting work. Uh, Johnny Walker, founder of Jenga Health. You're welcome to the programme, Johnny. Um, you're somebody who's, I suppose, walked the talk. Johnny, you've both, you, you've been a startup, but you've also been an investor in startups. Tell me a little bit about your world. 
uh, I suppose I'm coming from a perspective of being in the trenches as a clinician, um, which I've never stopped doing you know, for the last 25, 30 years. And um, that gives me a, sort of an unfair advantage in that I can see the pain points early. Um, and you'd think that would position you well, but let me tell you, it doesn't all the time. And uh, we've, um, I've worked uh, closely with startups um, ever since I was able to exit um, Global Diagnostics there a few years ago and trying to um, pick those people that have a vision for the way we can change the way we care for people in a in a faster, better, safer, more effective way. And just using simple technologies, not not complex technologies, but simple technologies that I think can get real tangible, straightforward, practical traction in the marketplace. And um, and they're the ones that I spend um, uh, people time and dollars on. And, uh, you know, some of them have um, have fallen by the wayside, God love them, not for lack of wanting. And others have really stepped up and particularly when the fire has been put to their belly um, during this COVID challenge. So I find that very exciting. But it's um, it's still incredibly bloody hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Johnny, the healthcare probably and again, as somebody who's been in that sector for a long time, we probably saw more change maybe in that sector in the last five months than we did in the last five years. Yeah, that's right. I've been, I mean, we've been trying to evangelize the, um, you know, the value of, of just simple, smart technologies to change the way we care for people. And then it took a virus to, um, to knock us all flat. And uh, now that, you know, we've, hopefully the wind has swung behind and it's beginning to fill our sail, we're going to see um, real changes. And I think the very first thing, Bobby, was that, uh, you know, the education piece, it, we've been trying to educate people about the benefits of simple technologies. And now um, they're beginning to educate themselves with this. Um, they took to Google, etc. And they're now informed as to what, um, what can be delivered uh, from the home. And so we're going to see a big shift. I think to um, to care in the home, primary care. Boy, what a what a change they've gone to gone. You know, from the traditional waiting room full of people trying to see everyone in ten minutes. You know, five six patients an hour. Now um, they can move that to a, an entire virtual um, environment. And uh, during the um, the crisis itself, ninety uh, percent of consultation was done via virtual consults, yeah. and it was been a perfect storm for telehealth and the like. Um, you know, we're going to see innovation around testing centres and triage, you know, the big fear about ICU and ventilators. I think we're over that, although we'll get a second bump, I have no doubt. But um, the, uh, the big opportunity, I think, now is around, you know, how can we have, you know, rapid, almost touchless testing and um, how can we link that to potentially a digital passport and um, uh, a vaccination certification so that allow that free passage and open up other industries um, such as travel that needs referred to. Um, I think virtual consultations are going to be here to stay. I think the mobile electronic health record is going to be here to stay. I think we're going to see smarter, connected homes where people have a huge focus now on well-being rather than on illness. And we're going to see devices and connected um, solutions that are going to be really um, just very, very simply be able to um, improve people's lives. Wow. Okay. Very, well. very, very, very interesting. Our third guest is John Phelan. He's the director of the Halo Business Angel Network. H-Band. John, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks, Bobby. Now, um, the pitch has moved online. Uh, and again, I think you were pleasantly surprised about, uh, you know, the seamless nature of, 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 of said transaction. We were. We were really pleasantly surprised. We went from pitches that we were doing where we get 20 people, 30 people max. We were getting 60 plus people onto an online virtual environment and we're getting people coming in from the US, from the UK and everything 
to, to, to witness pitches that would normally be in a, a face-to-face room. So, yeah, it was great. Now, as somebody who's done a bit of investing, I always like to look the fella in the eye um, and maybe just to, just to, I suppose, observe the minute of the body language, etc. Um, is that something that is, that is sort of or can be lost uh, in a kind of a Zoom scenario of a pitch? Definitely. Okay. Uh, I think you have to see the whites of the eyes for the most part. But we have seen a couple of deals close where nobody's met each other at all. Amazing. Yeah, it's phenomenal what's happened there. But yeah, I still think once this is all over, the investors are going to look at the whites of the eyes of the people. It's good to see them when they're pitching, how they react when they're defending themselves. Yeah. Uh, when you're asking difficult questions, do they get uptight? Do they... Yeah combat it are they defensive or are they just confident that actually the question you've asked I don't understand but I'll go and find you an answer and I'll come back to you and that's the way to do it so yeah, yeah no that's all that's all good that's uh, it's it's amazing and you know you you call yourself a dating service for startups and for investors and yeah. I suppose that's what you are is that bridge uh, that bring the two together um has the pandemic change the appetite uh, like what hap- tends to happen is you know the society becomes scared uh, people save more uh, people become more risk adverse and surely that's finds its way into your world or does it not strangely enough it's actually held up quite well right. um, Q1 this year we were sort of just a bit off target it didn't quite hit it which is not unusual Q2 which was mid pandemic we actually hit our targets uh, which was a big surprise. And part of that, I suppose, was that the legacy of Q1 had just come through. So all the deals that had started in, in late 2019 and Q1 were all finishing out and all getting closed up around Q2. But Q3 looks pretty okay at the moment as well. I mean, the pipeline's good. I mean, we did, um, we had 40 plus companies uh, that had pitched since the end or since the 1st of March, uh, which are which are engaged now with investors for investment yeah, which is higher than we would normally have so the investors are still there the appetite is still there how long the deals might take to close might be a bit longer as people wait to see what's going to happen to the capital markets and to to general markets and the customers because I think that's going to be the big problems that you might have good technologies good tech good people but the markets that they're going after will have changed dramatically changed and nobody quite knows where they're going to be and I think that's what people will wait for yeah uh, Niamh, we, we, we you, you, you talked earlier there about, I suppose, uh, the startups in different sectors. Uh, the key thing for a startup, surely, is not to run out of money. And a lot of them are fairly, you know, bootstrapped. They're lean, mean machines that really, unless they get investment, won't survive. So is there anything that, that can be done uh, for startups just to make them that little bit more robust? Yeah, there's a lot that can be done. I mean, like you say, Bobby, you know, not all companies can bootstrap and grow quickly at the same time. And it's great to hear John talking about his experience at HBAN because overall the numbers for investment, um, according to Tech Ireland for H1 for the first half of the year, look really concerning for younger companies. Um, I think this is true globally, but the trend is to put the investment into the larger companies, into the later stages. And I think that's going to get that trend is going to get worse over time, which is a really bad and concerning sign for young companies. Um, just to give you a number or two, in, according to Tech Ireland, um, 
this time last year, there were 47 companies that had raised 1 million or less. So let's say the, the pre-seed and seed companies, the very early stage um, startups in the country. Uh, this year, that's 14. So that's a third of what it would be uh, right. normally. So we're talking about a significant drop in the amount of funding these companies get. So what, what can we do? We can look at the sectors that are key growth areas, uh, some of whom we've already mentioned, and we can talk about them again. Uh, and we can see how we can support companies in those areas and accelerate things like R&D tax credit returns, expand the wage subsidy scheme for indigenous Irish companies. I mean, one of the things that I don't hear being talked about a lot at a government level is what do we do for the indigenous Irish companies that are building technologies? And indeed, within that, what are we doing for the Irish tech companies who are deep tech companies who are who are not going to make revenue by design for X number of years because they're building new technologies. I think it's a funny one because in Ireland, we all understand that a med tech company or a pharmaceutical company, for example, are in it for the long term. The investors understand, the government understands, everybody understands that these companies are not expected to turn revenue for X amount of years. But when we put that against, let's say, an artificial intelligence company or an AR VR company or, you know, a, a company who is doing equally deep tech in a different sector that may have a consumer facing application or that may have a B2B application. We don't understand why those companies don't get revenue early. And yeah. yet the investment is as deep and as important. So I see companies, for example, that are being supported right now, let's say, by Enterprise Ireland with the CSR, with the Competitive Start Fund. They, they have about 100 companies a year that go through that. Those companies that are in R&D right now, what is going to be the next step when they come out of that CSR funding? Where is the, where is the funding for companies like that to continue their R&D and so that they can move forward into, into industry and continue okay. building their innovative technology? I just I can't see it. Okay. You know? Uh, this is Back on Track. My guests are Neve Bushnell from Soapbox Labs, John Phelan, director of the Halo Business Angel Network, and Johnny Walker, founder of Jenga Health. Johnny, um, Neve just talked there about, I suppose, it's hard to quantify the jobs in this sector of, of startups, but one figure I was looking at was saying that we could lose 30,000 jobs, but more importantly, the 60,000 new jobs that may not be created as a result of it, because uh, when you're talking about startups, you're talking about new businesses. And that in itself seems to me to be almost a more worrying figure that we mightn't get 60,000 new jobs into the sector because of all what's going on. No, I think you're right, Bobby. And um, as I said, uh, paradoxically, you would have thought within digital health, this would be a fantastic wind in our sail and lift all boats. But um, it hasn't. It's knocked most of us um, over. And those that are still afloat um, have gone back two or three steps. And as Neve was saying, we've had to completely um, reevaluated our, our value proposition. And um, and don't forget, the major buyer in healthcare is still the government. And um, the government has gone through some extraordinary flux, not only with the crisis itself, but also in terms of um, uh, creating and crafting a new government. And so. Um, Taking procurement from startups 
uh, is not high on their agenda at this moment. Even though you know Enterprise Island have been absolutely phenomenal, and you'd like to marry that in to government uh, opportunities through contracts, etc. A lot of that has been put on the back burner, and um, because they're to a large degree risk adverse, and you can understand that in the sick people business, particularly in crisis, they're going tending to going with the big boys, um, the the tried and trusted, rather than actually um, uh, bringing through the young ones, you know, the young, the yeah. innovative, the agile. Um, the the ones that are accepting risk, you know, they're there and they're ready to have a pop and they're, they're there to try and make a change. You can understand why government ministers, and we've had a few of them now, haven't we, um, are reticent to sort of, okay, let's give them a, a run. Whereas in good times, in sunny times, they might do that. But in crisis, they tend to batten down the, um, the hatches. And I think everyone's anal sphincter snaps closed <laughs> for um, how long, I don't know. And would the, would the you know, financial constraints that are always in the health department, they seem, you know, I, I mean, at a at a kind of a macro level, they seem to have maybe been eased, i.e., you know, health trumps finance, uh, get it fixed, uh, get people better. Uh, does, should that not present an opportunity with the Department of Health and with the HSE? Yeah, and in theory it should, and uh, in practice, and in a number of um, cases it has. Um, it's just that uh, it's it's still been very, very difficult um, to get through to the HSE to show your value proposition, even when you have something which could plug and play and start tomorrow. Um, uh, but but they have looked to the um, uh, to the startup community probably um, mid range in terms of maturity. So those that have been around four or five years, they do have some traction in the marketplace, whether it's in the private sector or the B two C B two C market. Haven't yet sold to government. Um, they've taken on a number of players, including um, newer solutions who helped with the virtual consultation for. Um, uh, for the GPs and um, patient empower for the respiratory monitoring. You've got PMD for the uh, respiratory sensor, which has been fantastic for the um, intensive care units and um, the digital um, uh, temperature and thermometer with um, Dramedica. So there's yeah. there, there are cases out there. There are little there are little shoots where petrol's beginning to get poured on them. But um, we really need for this not to just be, you know, one bushfire. We need this to be something where we can really, really grow a sustained startup culture um, that is truly a part of healthcare delivery here. It, it shouldn't be out on the margins. Um, I think innovation within the health system, it's, a, it's sometimes difficult to create and uh, therefore it's not as agile and as fast and often the immune system of the mothership will just annihilate the, um, the young startup culture. Sure. To some degree, you've got to keep it distance, you've got to keep it outside, you can bring it in by stealth, but they've got to have an appetite and someone at the top has got to have the courage to say, listen, we're going to, um, we're going to bring these people in because they're good and they'll create some magic here. John Phelan, uh, director of, uh, of HBAN, um, we heard both Johnny and Neve there. This is essentially a people business and when you hear about uh, jobs under threat and new jobs now maybe not being created. Um, and also, will people be a little bit more reluctant to start a business in a recession, i.e. people coming into the startup game, regardless of what category they're in? I think what we witnessed the last time, uh, Bobby, was that people were forced into entrepreneurship yeah. and they came out. We got a lot of great startups coming out of that because you had a lot of well-qualified people who traditionally would have been in high-paid jobs in large multinationals or wherever, 
that the safety net was just, why would you come down to a startup? Yeah. It's just too high risk. I've got this high paid job. I've got my pensions, got the family sorted out, everything else. If that gets cut, then suddenly the options are all off the table. You can go for anything you want. So you, why wouldn't you go for a startup? It is an opportunity to do something new and, and creative and interesting and has real potential. So Yeah, I, 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 just, I, I agree with you completely that just because you're bounced into a startup by yeah. necessity, it doesn't mean that you're, you have equal chance. In fact, you have probably a greater chance of success uh, because, you know, you've, you've, you've made a few mistakes probably in, yeah. in, in a corporate world or whatever before that you, you come with some, with some positive baggage. And a, a bit like Johnny there, uh, if you come from the corporate world, sometimes you have a good insight to what the real problems are. Yeah, and you can you you can uh, create a bit of technology that fixes that, but not just that. You might have an understanding of what the the market is like that you're going into, so you might actually understand the supply chain that you're selling into, and you have all the relationships there as well. So you might have a better opportunity to to get, to, to create what it is, something that's solving a real problem, and understand the channels that you're going into to sell it at the right price. It it is interesting, is it not, John? That if if you go back twenty or thirty years, when somebody went to university, you know. And they came out with their degree and they wanted to work for one of the big four law firms or, uh, you know, the accountancy firms. Now they're equally likely to say, I want to start my own business, you know. So so that the culture of wanting to be a startup has moved monumentally. I think the risk profile has probably changed. Uh, yeah. the, the younger people don't, don't, don't care as much. Uh, in terms of having that uh, structured format to a successful life as such. I'm doing inverted commas here. Um, And they see other ways of of enjoying life and it's not just one bit. And what would you make of that, Niamh, in terms of, you know, if you go back uh, a number of years, uh, that, 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 you know, creating a startup today is is no big deal and it's almost expected of the younger folk. Well... I think it's, you know, I think absolutely it's a great time. You know, desperation leads to innovation for sure. And I know the last time, um, you know, the crash of 2008, for example, people were walking into the local enterprise offices with much bigger and bolder and more exciting ideas than they did once that crisis was over. But I think the, the important thing to talk about here, from my point of view at least, is not that the, you know, not that there aren't entrepreneurs out there and there aren't great ideas out there. It's what we're going to do to support those companies. Those people will always be there. And, you know, some some will have more motivation at different times in the economy than others to get out there and, and build a company. Fair enough. But what are we going to do for the people who now are forced um, by for loads of different reasons to build their own company? And those people are not being asked to look three months down the line at what their business could look like. They're being asked to look 18, 24 months down the line at what their business is going to to look like and why and how it's going to adapt, how they're going to read the world and be be profitable in this new world. And so we've got to put the supports behind them. We've got to to find new frameworks of supporting these bedroom startups into, into being. And I just don't see that we're doing that in, in many clear ways. I mean, I think there's been a lot of uh, different publicity about different loans available from the banks, for example. Uh, I know the Leos are putting out a 50K startup package, but some of that money from the banks, for example, is not actually available. It's been marketed, but the money hasn't come into their coffers by all accounts themselves, so they haven't been able to, to use it. 
And has the mentality changed there around risk? I don't think so. Uh, you know, have we changed some of the laws and tax uh, rules around angel investors to get them to, to, to take more risks with early stage startups? No, we haven't. So really, it's, the, you know, it's, it's something that, that Trish Gammon at Soapbox likes to always say. You know, the, the, the entrepreneurs are there and they're thinking big. It's the system that thinks small. It's the system that's forcing them to penny pinch and, for example, you know, not be able to go to investment until they can show X amount of recurring revenue okay. per month. We don't live in that world. Okay. Know? My guests are Neve Bushnell from Soapbox Labs, John Phelan, director of HBAN, and Johnny Walker, uh, founder of Jinga Life. Um, just uh, Neve mentioned there the supports, uh, Johnny. Uh, the Sustaining Enterprise Fund, that's had a very low take-up. So do we need, when we support startups, Johnny, do we need to make the interaction just more simple and less bureaucratic? Because one would be disappointed and surprised indeed when startups don't avail of, of, of supports that are offered. Yeah, I think it, it, there's two sides to that, Bobby, in that um, first and foremost, and, and speaking as, as an Aussie, um, the the mere existence of Enterprise Island is just a, a phenomenal and uh, and what they do. And look, hands up, I've been a beneficiary of them both at Global Diagnostics and now at Jingle Life. Um, and I see the work they do um, at the at the government level and the various tiers within that. Um, as Neve was saying, look, it, it is difficult um, for startups to get out of the blocks and then, you know, you've got to have two years of audited um, accounts. Well, you know, they haven't been in the market two years. They, they may not have got their first marquee um, client. Um, so, and, you know, they may not yet be at revenue, um, let alone profit. And so it is a difficult, difficult path. Um, I don't want to overly simplify it, but it should be a very, very simple, straightforward, transparent structure. Um, most of that, I believe, should be online now and, and moving into that virtual world of um, that, that John's now um, living in as well. And I think that um, they've got to be very, very rapid decisions. Um, I, I live for a fast no, um, whereas a slow no can kill you. Yeah. And You've got government that are just, um, and I don't want to keep coming down on the government, but if if the um, the timeline of the startup and the opportunity within the market and the timelines of the decision makers within the decision making unit aren't aligned, then it's going to come uncoupled, and uh, and you just won't get that rapid rapid escape velocity that some of the um, the startups are getting in other countries. Um, John, there still is there not, I suppose, a difficulty uh, with some understanding the kind of modern startup in the sense that, you know, a business with no revenue, with no customers, uh, that won't make a profit for a number of years, it can be a hard sell in terms of you need to support this business. Um, there's no two ways about it. It's not a traditional, uh, I suppose, model of what a business is, but it's an early stage innovative business which is creating for the future and it's, it's creating opportunities in the future which don't exist just yet. Yeah. And that's the difference that they have to get their heads around. And, and one of the things that both Neve and Johnny were talking about there is about uh, supports and, and I'm on record with EIIS uh, that I don't think it's fit for purpose and it needs to change. It needs to change quite dramatically to be effective. It's not effective at the moment. So I think we need to change all of that. And what's wrong with it? It doesn't work. Yeah. It's um, too bureaucratic. Um, the risk is all in the company, but uh, that then turns back onto the to the investors. Um, the tax advisors are now saying it's so complicated that they are advising companies not to actually take it on. Yeah, yeah. So clearly not fit for purpose. Mm. And what are you proposing in its place? I'm proposing that they they 
the mechanisms uh, are changed and just the bureaucracy is reduced, but also that that it's delivered in a way that is is non-bureaucratic. But for for the next 12 months, that we might consider an increase on the 40% tax incentive to incentivize uh, private investors, but private capital into very high de- high risk opportunities, which if they don't, there's going to be a market failure because there's not going to be many people who are going to invest in this early stage companies. But if we want private investors to do it, we've got to incentivize them to do it. So my, my view is that we should be increasing that 40% to 60%. Okay, right. And if what about, uh, I suppose, you know, realizing your dream uh, once you've once you've done your startup, you've got your business uh, up and going, you've satisfied your investors. What about getting out the other side? Is there more we need to do there uh, to create an environment that would make, uh, you know, I suppose, make that dream more reality for people and get more people into the startup world? You know, the funny thing is that people think that startup founders spend a lot of time thinking about um, uh, about selling the company, about the, the, the exit. And the, the actuality of it is, is that they're so focused on the day-to-day and getting through and, and realizing the vision that they have that the, you know, the capital gains discussion, obviously it's of interest to them. Obviously they want to, you know, the lower the capital gains tax, the better for them on an exit proposition. But they would prefer, I, I guarantee you, if you did a survey of startup founders today, they would prefer that the supports were front-ended that the supports were, were, were made it easier for them from a cash flow perspective, from a startup perspective, from an R&D tax credit perspective, from like Johnny was just saying, or sorry, John was just saying there about angel investment. So I, I think, yes, capital gains tax, it's always there. It's always something that we need to do a better job on so that we can incentivize uh, startups and founders. But that's way out in their minds. That's not what they're living with. What they're focused on is, how do we make it easier to give our employees, um, uh, you know, shares? How how do we make it easier to 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 employ more people? How do we, you know, all the kinds of incentives actually are many of the kinds of incentives that the IDA are able to give to companies coming into the country. We'd love to see some of those being applied at that early stage to make it easier and smoother and less painful for Irish startups to set up and employ talent from around the world and have. Uh, the right base here in Ireland so they don't think about moving away. Capital gains tax is out there, of course, but it's it's way out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think uh, the ones that you talk, uh, the best way to sell your business, in my view, is to run a good business. And that yeah. should be your focus. Uh, and it'll happen itself. Uh, Johnny, are you optimistic about the future? I know you've had a, a difficult... Uh, pandemic in in terms of your own business so I, I is there any sort of shards of optimism there that you can that you can latch on to oh bobby buckets of it absolute buckets of it and it's um it's it's coming at us every day look there's going to be opportunity that comes out of the um the ashes of uh, covid and uh it is going to be this so-called new world and i think it's going to create opportunities that just didn't exist earlier or they've been rapidly, rapidly accelerated. And I think a lot of that's now going to see the shift of the access from the hospital to the home. Uh, it's going to see the big move from um, illness to wellness and um, and digital is going to um, be a vital part of that. It's not going to be all of it, um, but it's going to facilitate um, a greater and more 
a more, um, I think, in the end, elegant way of looking after people. Uh, so we're um, we're looking very much at a, you know at the home and then what we can do in terms of that um, connected smart home, the smart cities, and um, and bringing that ecosystem together in a very simple way. Okay, and last word to you, John Phelan, in terms of the environment for uh, startups, uh, the government, what can it actually do now uh, over this next period to make sure that these jobs are protected? Number one, at the thirty thousand and create it, uh, more importantly, uh, up to 60,000 jobs. What, what, what do you think should be uh, the initiatives that, that come forward from government? I think some of the initiatives are very good. Uh, they just need to be simplified and right. just remove all the restrictions that are on them. Uh, I mean, all, all the things we've seen so far to date uh, say that the, that the initiatives are, are they sound positive, they sound good, but nobody can access them because they're too bureaucratic. I also think it'd be great if the government could put a bit of leverage on the multinationals to engage with the, the startup communities to, yeah. to, to help the early stage companies, give them purchase orders. Don't give them love, give them purchase orders. Yeah. And I think that'd be a great thing to see. I'd love to see the multinationals engage more. We do a lot of great FDI stuff here, but I think we could uh, do more. Yeah. Uh, last last final word to you, Neve Bushnell. Um, are you optimistic when you look out? We have some brilliant companies in Ireland and they're doing amazing work and some of the best companies have come out during this time. I mean, obviously Soapbox Labs, but Waya, Buy Me, Let's Get Checked, Nearform. I mean, there's so many of them. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about these companies and where they're going to take Ireland. Okay, well, I want to thank my guests again, Neve Bushnell from Soapbox Labs, John Phelan, Director of HBAN, and Johnny Walker, founder of Jinga Life. Thank you all very much for your time and indeed your wisdom. Enjoyed that conversation. Thanks, Bobby. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. So we thought it would be a great idea to speak to a startup business from a businessman willing to adapt to these changing times, Alan Gale of Sanitisation Ireland. You're very welcome to the programme. How are you, Alan? I'm very well, thank you. Now, as I understand it, Alan, you had a business called Triple Oak Limited that was importing high-quality wood flooring from Croatia, but you're now in a very different business as a result of COVID-19. We are. We adopted Triple Oak last year to uh, bring a new board to the Irish market. And due to COVID-19, we had to change from the wood to a sanitization company. Right. And they, at first glance, would appear to be very different businesses. Adam, was there anything in terms of infrastructure from the previous business that you were able to use in your new sanitation business? No, except that the guys that work closely with me um, were able to be trained up in using the sanitization equipment. Um, yeah, they're totally different business. Okay. And was it easy to, to make that transition? Because it sounds like you moved very quickly and you moved very decisively. Um, like, how long were you actually out of business? Well, we were shut down like the rest of the country um, in March. And we soon adopted the other company and the equipment, and it took us about three weeks to get it up and running, get the training done, and um, get ourselves out on the road. Great. So, um, and I, I'd imagine with the result of all the necessary sanitation now in all sorts of establishments, uh, because of uh, the COVID-19 operating rules, 
that this has presented a, a real opportunity for you. How how is business? Well, business is, is quite good at the moment. We um, we started off with ozone equipment, and we soon realised that we had to uh, adapt ourselves with more equipment so we could be a one-stop shop um, to sanitise any environment. And um, in that, then we uh, we targeted the film industry which we knew needed to be reopened. Um, and we took that to the film board and um, presented ourselves and did a demonstration for them and put various things in place. And they, uh, they took us on board. And how does it work in terms of your customer base, Alan? Uh, do you do sort of one-off cleans or are you retained on some sort of contract basis? Well, at the moment, we're retained on a contract base by MGM who um, are currently filming Valhalla. Right. Um, so, And how many people are you employing at the moment? We've, we started off with four and we're up to eight people now at the moment. Isn't that great? Uh, and what, is your, what, what do you feel your prospects are for, this, I suppose, the short-term future, say, till the end of the year, Alan? How are you feeling about business? Well, we're, we're very confident that we'll... Um, we'll keep going for the foreseeable future. Um, we could be into March of next year before we finish the shoot with um, MGM. And from there, we, well, we don't really know what way it's going to yeah. go. From there. And would you, be, would you be optimistic now that you're in the right sector, so to speak, uh, because uh, of, 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 I suppose the sanitization opportunities that lie ahead? Well, we're, we're in a very good place at the moment. Um, each day we're taking on different contracts with different companies. We've developed uh, the company into three parts. We have a mobile service that would do a residential area. And we have two units that do commercial properties and uh, businesses. All right. Well, look, we, uh, we, 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 we take our hats off to you. It, uh, you obviously have achieved uh, something. You've moved uh, from what, what I'm sure was a very stark situation and you've reinvented yourself, uh, albeit it looks that you've done uh, so very successfully. So well done to you and we wish you every success in the future. And thanks for that. Alan Gale, Sanitation Ireland there, uh, somebody who's actually shown us uh, that you can move from one business uh, to another. Great. Thank you. Back on track with Bobby Care. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. A startup that has adapted their business in reaction to the COVID 19 pandemic. Adrian Stewart, the managing director of Rainforest. It's good to have you on our podcast. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having us on. Now, tell us about. Powers Court Springs, uh, 32 bedrooms, 38 acres, opened recently with the creation of 20 jobs. You must be very excited. And we're absolutely delighted uh, to be open now. We weren't really sure what was going to happen um, during COVID-19, but we decided to plow ahead with our project. So Powers Court Springs is a wellness hotel where, uh, as you say, we've just over 30 bedrooms located in Enniskerry, County Wicklow. We're on a beautiful rolling estate. Um, overlooking the Sugarloaf Mountain. And um, a wellness hotel, I suppose, is a kind of slightly 
different concept in the sense that we are, we're building wellness into the entire experience, so every aspect of the hotel. So we've got healthy food, we have in-room meditation, we have uh, yoga morning and evening, guided meditation, we have nice walks in the area, we grow our own vegetables, there's plenty of elements that we're building into the experience here at Paris Court Springs. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just I'm interested in that, you know, often you get a well-being scenario that has, I suppose, been tacked on to a hotel. This seems to be uh, from the inside out, uh, starting with wellness and then every dimension of it uh, is embedded in, in that culture. Yeah, we, we decided to, I mean, look, that's, that's the way things are going now and everybody is prioritising their wellness a little bit more as we all should be. Um, and I suppose, yeah, we decided to come at the hotel model a little bit differently to create a, a, a closed community here at Paris Court Springs. The gates close behind you. We don't take people in for lunch or drinks or just day spa treatments. We want this to be a special retreat for them and to feel like they're being taken care of in every element and every part of the hotel. So we, we've approached it this way instead of having, like you say, a tacked on spa. Um, we wanted to create an atmosphere here where people feel that they can't really let go of the stress that has built up. And I think it's probably no better time than after a global pandemic or in the middle of a global pandemic to, to, to look after your, your own personal wellness and your health and try and let go, let go of stress. When you look at it as well, Adrian, um, you know, the location, uh, its proximity, I suppose, to the capital, albeit in, in beautiful uh, woody uh, Wicklow, um, you know, what about the staycation? Is that, is your market going to be indigenous Irish or in time will a tourist play a part in that? Yeah, so we, uh, we've been really lucky in that our original business plan anyway was targeting the domestic market. And of course, COVID hit, nobody's traveling now. So in some ways that has helped us um, be able to open because if we had been targeting a, a foreign market or American tourists, etc., we really we, we wouldn't have opened our doors. Um, in time, though, uh, the uh, foreign market, we, we, we would aim to attract people from um, Europe for the likes of yoga retreats, walking holidays, hiking holidays. I mean, we just, we're in the Garden of Ireland. We're half an hour from Dublin Airport. I mean, it's the perfect opportunity to um, showcase Ireland in some ways and, and, and bring people in for short breaks and they can head off again. Um, um, in that. So, yeah, you mentioned, ti- ahead, yeah, you mentioned timing there and uh, I suppose you're no stranger to what might be termed nightmare timing. Did you open uh, your own rainforest spa uh, in Enniskerry on April Fool's Day 2009. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a I memory left the that building lives that you're sitting in, Bobby. Yeah, I, I handed in my notice in, in, in Today FM and I was previously in News Talk and I handed in my notice just before the world economy collapsed. So um, I was, yeah, it, not, not fantastic timing to open Rainforest Spa. But I, I suppose when you look back on things, you know, there's opportunities in every situation and um, it was a steep learning curve, but we got there. We're open 11 years now at, at, in Rainforest Spa and located up the road in, also in Enniskerry. Um, so I suppose... Um, Bad timing, yes, but look, there's opportunities and everything. And finally then, Adrienne, in, in relation to Rainforest, did you, is that a business that you've had to change uh, or modify uh, post-pandemic? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we're actually just recently opening, um, we've just recently opened Rainforest Spa as well. We took a little bit longer to reopen than a lot of other spas. So Rainforest Spa is a day spa in Enniskerry. And, you know, we take in a lot of massage treatments and facial treatments. Our team had to go through really intensive COVID training. Our, we're all in PPE gear. We've had to limit the numbers that are in the building at any one time. We've got wet facilities. The amount of bad men... Um, that goes on in the background to ensure that our clients and our staff are safe is really, you know, phenomenal. But um, we are able to offer the treatments. Um, some of them are a little bit curtailed in terms of time, but um, no, w w we are able to do it. It's just a huge amount of work, but needs must, I suppose. And okay. we're lucky that, you know. Well, listen, we, we, we wish you well. We wish you Thank well you so much, uh, with your new business and indeed your, your existing business. Uh, Adrian Stewart there. Uh, Managing Director of Rainforest and indeed uh, the new uh, Enniskerry Hotel and Spa uh, springing back to life. Thanks very much, Adrian. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. And of course, my thanks once again to Neve Bushnell of Soapbox Labs, Johnny Walker of Jingle Life, H-Band's John Phelan and Alan Gale of, Sal Alan Gale of Sanitization Ireland. Don't forget to subscribe on Newstalk.com or through the Newstalk app. Next week, it's all about agri and the farming sector. Thanks for listening. Back on track with Bobby Care. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin.